Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Uh, should the gag order be lifted on traumatized jurors post-trial when it comes to, well, psychiatric mental health uh, assistance? Uh, amazingly enough, and we, we found this to be the case uh, with some of the more dramatic and, and horrific trials and some of the details that come out of some of these trials in recent years, it's, it's obviously, but now, now we're starting, I think, understand that jurors can be impacted very negatively by this. And uh, some of them are feeling is, well, quite isolated because they don't think they're allowed to get the help that they really need. I want to bring Jeff Manishin into the conversation, criminal lawyer with Ross and McBride here in Hamilton, a former Crown attorney. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Hi, Bill. It's always a pleasure. To have a gag order on jurors and say you can't talk to anybody about anything that happened behind closed doors sounds a little draconian, but uh, was was that put in place with the best of intentions? Yeah, I think it uh, it was, Bill, and it's been around for a long time, certainly for as long as uh, I can recall. Um, the the phrase that's used is uh, that uh, the, the, unless it's for an ind- investigation of a potential uh, offense under uh, another section of the criminal code, potentially obstruction of justice for a juror, um, or uh, giving evidence uh, in a criminal case regarding uh, some other offense, uh, nobody, every member of the jury and anybody uh, providing any uh, technical or personal or other support service to a juror, um, basically cannot disclose any information regarding the proceedings of the jury when it was absent from the courtroom if it wasn't subsequently disclosed in open court. So no juror or anybody offering support can do so. Otherwise, it's an offense punishable on summary conviction. And that has to do with any proceedings of the jury. But some would look at this and say, well, look, at if a verdict's already been rendered, what difference does it make? Yeah, I think the idea, though, is that uh, jurors should be allowed to serve the the public and the community without fear of any recriminations, hearing about what somebody did or didn't think in a position that somebody took. They should be allowed to be able to keep it confidential. Um, it, the, the idea essentially being that they should be free to be able to express their views and know that it won't go outside the jury room. That's the thinking of it. And, and I can understand that rationale. But now let's move on to where we are here in 2018. And we've heard some stories, Jeff, about the impact on on not just jurors, but I think everybody in the court uh, on, on some of the things that have gone on, some of the trials, some of the horrific details that have gone on. And, and we understand that post-traumatic stress disorder can it be a factor in situations like this. So uh, I, I'm assuming that that's the, the motivation behind this legislation that's being proposed now. Yeah, and in fact, though, I seem to recall that we discussed several months ago the concept of the Ontario government providing trauma counseling for jurors. You did. And uh, I think we discussed at that time um, the challenges the jurors face where they have been through witnessing evidence of really dramatic and emotionally powerful and upsetting uh, proceedings and events. And... They may, other than talking to fellow jurors, who can they really talk with about it? Now, we have to be careful to be able to delineate. They can't talk to anybody about the proceedings. Can they talk about the effect that what they saw had on them? I would say they probably could, Bill, because remember, that's not talking proceedings. That's simply, I was really upset by what I saw. I was really upset by hearing this testimony. It's brought back memories for me, or it's caused me nightmares, or it's caused me a lot of emotional disturbance. Could one talk with a counselor about that? I would say they could, because that's not the proceedings. That's the personal impact. But there is a limitation. And, and how would the average person know where to draw the line? Well, I, that, that's a challenge. Obviously, a judge tells them you aren't talking about proceedings, and any person that was dealing with them should be made aware of that, too. So if the Ontario government has set up a counseling support service for jurors, 
clearly there, whoever's available to be able to that kind, provide that kind of counseling would be aware of it. So you do have to take some care, but I guess the way that we'd phrase it, Bill, is that counseling process would be process would be restricted. The juror might be limited as to how much he or she could say. Because, I mean, the, the reality here, Jeff, and you have talked about this with some of the other trials. I know we can't get into specifics about some of them, but, I mean, some of the stuff is public information. Uh, graphic photos of crimes, uh, of murders, uh, graphic descriptions, uh, videos in, in a couple of the high-profile cases that you and I have talked about over the last couple of years. Uh, it's got to have an impact on people. Sure, and, and I think one of the major reasons that it does, Bill, is, is what they're seeing is so foreign to their own life experience. I mean, we know that first responders can experience post-traumatic stress yep. by seeing the horrific consequences of criminal behavior, whether it's ambulance, fire department personnel, police personnel, and seeing it certainly um, upfront and personal has to be enormously impactful. But I know that at trials where cause of death is an issue, there's pretty graphic evidence in terms of events. And I've been involved in other cases where the nature of the evidence, 911 calls, and other testimony can be extremely emotionally uh, challenging. Has and even in terms of being able to see how victims, uh, you know, and, and family members of deceased and so forth are dealing with it can be very distressing and upsetting, too. Has the court been aware of this? Are, are they making you know, some, some moves now to try to accommodate this? Well, you say as the court, there's no real power for a judge. There isn't a direct statutory power for a judge to do it. If memory serves, Bill, Mr. Justice Pat Lesage for the Bernardo case did basically direct for members of the jury and for witnesses and others in the Bernardo case that resources should be made available for them to receive some counseling. Um, has a judge got a power to do so? I, I suppose a judge could say, look, uh, I'm going to direct that funding should be available. You know, one of the things that's really difficult to bill is jurors. They don't get paid very much for the service. Yeah. I mean, the first two weeks they get nothing. And I think thereafter they might get like $40 a day or something. And I, I've heard of some judges who will direct for longer trials that they should get that 40 right from the beginning or 100 right from the beginning. So there, there have been rare instances in which judges have directed that counseling effort, counseling resources should be provided, and that's what led to the provincial government establishing it. What we're dealing with here is a conservative member of parliament has said, well, there should be a kind of companion piece. The criminal code, which is federal, should be amended to be able to permit people to talk to health care professionals and counselors and therapists. So that's what this proposal is. It's in the criminal, it would be to amend the criminal code to give a greater license for people to be able to talk about the proceedings. And again, we get back to the idea of during the line. I mean, there's going to have to be some schooling here, I think even on behalf of the, the mental health professionals that are doing this, to say we can't really go down that road. Let's talk about this instead. Well, the purpose of the amendment to the code that's proposed that Susan wrote about in the column is to take that issue away, is to say, don't worry about that. That's why the amendment to the code. So a judge can't do it. The provincial government can't do it because it's federal legislation. So, you know, it gets back to an interesting issue, Bill, even apart from the specific uh, restriction on, on, on the ability of the juror to talk about a case for the purpose of counseling. And over the years, there have been studies done in other countries about the impact of certain evidence on jurors, and it can be important from the standpoint of what kind of instruction to them could or couldn't assist them in understanding the law or applying certain legal principles to the evidence. Um, and you need to be able to know from jurors, I mean, wouldn't it be good to be able to find out, did you understand this particular explanation of the defense of not criminally responsible by mental disorder? Or I gave you an, a, an instruction on limited use of evidence. Did you get what I was saying on that? Did you follow it? And so forth. 
We can't do that social science research. We can't talk to jurors to find out about those sorts of things. And so we're kind of hamstrung in the justice system to learn. I heard a lecture some years ago uh, from a, uh, a lawyer from Australia that they allowed in a certain category of cases and for a certain period of time and certain research purposes to be able to allow other researchers to talk to jurors. It was fascinating. We don't have that here. Well, and there's a science to that, and I know that, you know, Robert Grisham's written about it from a fictional standpoint, obviously, uh, with jury selection and things of that nature, but uh, it's, it's, it's maybe one of the shortcomings, because you're, you're putting, you know, 12 people in, in the, most cases, I guess, that are going to be involved in jury duty there, in a, in a, in a position where, the, you know, they're going to be exposed to stuff that they probably heretofore have never seen before, it's going to have an impact on them. And, and I guess one of the concerns you might have in the court is, well, how objective are they going to be right now because of the impact that that evidence has had on them? Well, that's an issue, Bill, that, that is raised with respect to certain evidence. And so, for example, if uh, the Crown would propose to put in pictures of a post-mortem or pictures of the deceased, there's a body of case law that permits the defense to object to that on the basis that it could really inflame the reality emotions of the jury and cause an emotional reaction. Um, but on the other hand, if cause of death is an issue, that evidence is certainly going to be relevant for the jury to have to see and hear. And the trend has been to say, look, jurors can understand that they have to you know, maintain their objectivity and decide it without any emotional reaction. But let's try it this way, Bill. So we say that to jurors. How well does that instruction work? How do we know? And you could say, well, let's just do a social science research exercise and put a bunch of people in a room, and they aren't, it's not a real case, but show them pictures and give them instruction, see how well they do with it. Well, that can help you to some extent, but it's kind of artificial. So, yeah, I mean, try it a different way, Bill. The Paul Manafort case. Remember the jury was out for a number of days? Yeah. Remember they convicted the majority of counts but acquitted on some? And you remember we heard that one juror was holding out. Okay. Does that advance the justice system to learn that? Have you seen cases in which juries have gone on TV on 60 Minutes or Dateline to talk about the deliberations in a given case? Does that help or not? Uh, that's, that's an issue that I raise, and it's one that is worthy of some discussion. Uh, I know personally I would love to be able to know more about their, you know, their deliberations, but there's something unseemly, on the other hand, of they're on TV and they're talking about it or they're writing books or articles about it. So it's a challenging kind of balance. Well, it's, yeah, let me ask you, I've got about a minute left here, but yeah, let's counterbalance that with what happens in the States where we do see jurors writing books and going on Larry King. Well, not that Larry King's on anymore, but and, and telling their story about what went on during the court. Obviously, we don't want to go down that road, but there seems to be a lot more leniency than down in the U.S. system. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think they have those same kinds of restrictions. Now, I won't comment on whether that's limited to state court or federal court or very state-to-state, but certainly, there's an example for us to see what does the other half of the equation look like. So it may well be, to return to where we started, that this amendment to the criminal code is, let's call it a little much better than a halfway point. It will allow the jurors the full opportunity to discuss the whole experience of being on a jury for the purpose of getting mental health and stress counseling. So in that sense, it's a good amendment. And it's, as I say, it, it's complementary to, uh, in other words, supportive of, what Ontario has done, and probably other provinces should do too, is to make that trauma counseling available for jurors. It's it's an important service for people to serve, you know, on a jury, and we appreciate it. We have to, we owe it to them to give them the support they need. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks as always. Appreciate the time today. Okay, Bill. Always a pleasure, as I say. Jeff Madison, criminal lawyer with Ross McBride, former Crown attorney as well. Why don't I get Mark Ferrand into the conversation? Uh, Mark, of course, uh, is a, a, somebody who served on a jury and has been one of the strong advocates for uh, this kind of uh, mental, mental. Me- and medical help at the same time. Mark, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you jumping on today. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You've been you've been very vocal about this. You've been an advocate for this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the proposal, the amendment that is to Bill C-417 right now. What are your thoughts on what's being proposed? Well, I, I think it's a, a very important step uh, for uh, for the justice system and and for jurors and for Canadians. And I, I think it's um, it's uh, it's 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 long overdue, and it provides um, jurors with. Um, a, a, a total package in the sense that they they can um, you know uh, once the trial is over and they aren't uh, feeling um, like themselves they aren't uh, or are disturbed by the images that they see in the courtroom and require um, um, medical intervention and, and access to a clinician they can now speak about whatever um, whatever they need to uh, under um, under the terms of, of being a juror and, and within the court so there's no barrier now to them. Um, they can discuss deliberation. They can discuss um, any of the trial elements. I'd like to look at this, uh, the, the prohibition that has been in place for many, many, many years here, at Mark, and simply say like, it was probably an oversight and, or a loophole there, because I don't think when this was devised that, that there was a, a much of an understanding about PTSD and the impact that it can have on people and the impact that, that this, this experience, this jury experience could have on people. Well, that's true, and, and and I think, you know, also jurors for many, many years just didn't talk about the trial experience, and we didn't hear from jurors post-trial either. Uh, that that exists in Canada. It's not like the U.S. where you can stand on the steps of the court uh, the courthouse after a trial and, and speak openly about what occurred, how you reached a verdict, and, and you know, even get a book deal. Um, you know, the jurors simply walked out of the courtroom and, and disappeared into the ether, which, you know, is part of our system, and that's that's a, a sense of privacy that is afforded to them. But um, we've heard from jurors over the years, and I'm one of them, that um, they just, you know, weren't feeling, um, you know, weren't feeling like themselves or like myself and others were deeply disturbed and affected by what they saw in the courtroom. And then trying to access... Um, services post-trial was uh, was almost impossible because they just didn't exist, or they had to be issued by a judge at the time. How frustrating was that for you? Oh, it was intensely frustrating. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons that I that um, I got sicker and sicker over time because I couldn't uh, a access um, any services, and b um, a lot of clinicians were uh, very apprehensive to take me on and, and other jurors because of that fear of um, there being reprisals because it's, it's at that point, you know, there was confusion about the legalities of it. So a lot of clinicians just said, you know, I can't talk to you, you're a juror. It's illegal for us to have a conversation or, you know, it's not, it's, it's against policy within EAP programs. So they just weren't willing to take them on. So, you know, the juror was really at the mercy of the public health system and, and trying to find a clinician on their own just seemed something that wasn't right. So you're in a situation right now where you're, you're, you're dealing with issues, you're dealing with psychological issues because of this, uh, and, and that's got to be exacerbated, I would think, Mark, by the fact that, you know, when you tried to knock on doors for help, everybody said, sorry, can't do anything for you. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, you know, it went, it went on and on and on. And, you know, the public, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's common knowledge now that it's, it's, it takes a long time for somebody to get access to um, a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist through the system now as it is. And, and imagine that being um, equally challenging as a, as a juror. So, yeah, it could take, you know, six to eight months before you even have a meeting with somebody or even, even able to find somebody who's willing to take you on. Yeah, and 
I mean, you get get into a, a hypothetical situation where you wait that six or eight months and get in there and say, okay, here's my pro- – oh, I'm sorry, we can't talk about that. Yeah. And then yep. you're right back to square one. Exactly. And so, you know, the Ontario government, uh, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, uh, all understood that and, um, and put uh, a program into place where jurors have access to a set amount of counseling hours um, through – uh, through the attorney general's uh, office in those in those respective provinces, but we're still looking at provinces that have nothing in place, um, or um, it's very cumbersome to get access to that that program. So, you know, this is a this is a big step federally to to remove that barrier, um, and you know, one of the first steps that that I hope is going to be in taking on you know those recommendations that the justice committee. Uh, put forward in May in, in their report after studying juror mental health and, and jury duty for a year. Well, it's it's been a long, hard fight, and I, I'd like to think that you haven't quite crossed the finish line. There's still work to be done on this, but uh, boy, you, this is this is a big leap, isn't it? it, it yeah, no, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, the bill hasn't passed, so yeah. uh, you know, it's a big step, and I I, I hope that uh, people will look at the bill for what it is and and not um, review it along political or partisan lines and and see that it. It's really meant to make the justice system stronger. It's meant to encourage people to um, to um, answer that call when they get their summons and, and to participate in jury duty. So it's, it's really meant to improve the system. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure as the debate goes on, we'll talk about, uh, more about this. But uh, so far, so good anyway, Mark. And uh, I can, congratulations on the great efforts that you put forward to try to get this to this point anyway. And hopefully we will push this over the finish line. Thanks again. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Take care. Mark Ferrand, of course, who is a, a former juror who's been fighting for this kind of help. But, uh, and he's got a very valid point here. This is actually an amendment that's being presented by a conservative, uh, and it's a liberal majority government. And oftentimes those things kind of get shoved off to the side. You'd like to think that in the best interest of everybody that uh, they can just put this into the amendment to that bill and, and move on and get the help people need in situations like that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.